0: can open with me this morning to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Our passage this morning is right on the heels of Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the house. We looked last week at the, uh, at the fall, where Adam and Eve sinned against God. Adam and Eve, our first parents, rebelled against him, and in so doing, brought upon themselves a curse. And not just upon themselves, but also on all of us. And the last verse of Genesis 3 says this, He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he, God, placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. In other words, Adam and Eve and all their descendants, that's us, have been shut out of the presence of God because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God. And and this this is a deep grief for us. And in fact, for all humanity, every human being who's ever lived under the sun we find in ourselves a longing which nothing in this world can satisfy. And the reason is because we were created by God for God, to know Him and to be in His presence. And so we as human beings, we have a deep longing which nothing in this world can satisfy because there's an angel standing at the gate of Eden and we can no longer go back to the garden, no longer back to the presence of God. And in in one way of seeing, reading the rest of scripture, the whole rest of the scriptural story is a quest to go back to the garden with a central question, something like this, how can we go back to the presence of God? How can we, defiled sinners, go back into the presence of a holy God and not be destroyed? And on one level, that's actually the question the two characters we're going to look at this morning were asking. The first two men born of a woman, Cain, and Abel. And the passage we're going to look at this morning is that Cain and Abel sought to worship God, to come into his presence, and as sinners to be welcomed into the presence of God. And as we'll see, Abel is welcomed and Cain is not. There's a lot of fallout from this. We'll look more at the fallout next week. But this week, I want to consider Cain and Abel's sacrifice because this whole idea of sacrifice becomes central through the rest of scripture at the heart of worship whenever people are seeking to come into the presence of a holy God for whatever reason time and time again we see them bringing sacrifice and we see even in this passage that a right sacrifice makes all the difference in terms of being welcomed into the presence of God. And this is a very strange thing f- for us in 2022 as Americans. It's like, what on earth is up with this idea of sacrifice? It's a very foreign, I can could, I could remember reading the Bible as a kid and reading about all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Like, What, 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 is, what does all this mean? Right? It seems very strange. Uh, but as we'll see, the more we come to understand the meaning of, this, of sacrifice, the more we'll come to understand just what it takes for us to be in the presence of God. So I'd like to read the passage together, and then we'll pray. Genesis 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning to you and to your word seeking to understand something of you. When we open the pages of this book, we come in contact with you and you are so far above our understanding and our comprehension. And we are at times simply overwhelmed by who you are. And so we ask this morning, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would show us something of yourself that you would show us the significance of sacrifice and how it is that through Jesus' blood we can be brought into your presence. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. 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 All right. Big idea this morning, if you want something to write down, is this. Sacrifice is essential. Right sacrifice is essential if we want to come and worship God, okay. right? Sacrifice is essential if we want to come and worship God. And we see that as basically the basic assumption underneath this first sacrifice ever recorded in Scripture, that Cain and Abel come into the presence of God, and the difference between being accepted into the presence of God and not is a right sacrifice. Now, we'll explain what the difference is a bit later between Cain's and Abel's sacrifice it's really important to understand but first I just want to acknowledge this idea of sacrifice is is foundational it's central if we're going to come into the presence of God and be accepted and the question I want to ask this morning is why why is this because this this theme recurs throughout all of scripture all the way up until the time of Jesus Those who come to worship God, if they're going to come and worship rightly, they're expected to bring sacrifice. Why sacrifice? And we're gonna see two answers this morning. First of all, because sacrifice is the only way we can be brought into right relationship with God as sinners. And secondly, because sacrifice is a powerful way for us to proclaim our relationship with God. So we'll look at the first one first and the second one second. So first of all, sacrifice is the only way we can be brought into the presence of God, that we can be, our relationship can be reconciled with God. I'm going to look at both Abel and Cain's sacrifice. We're told about these two brothers, and we're not given many details. One would wish that maybe we were told their favorite color or where they went to high school, We're told their names, their birth order, and their occupations. So Cain is born first, he's the firstborn of Eve, and then Abel, born second. And we're told that Cain uh, was a a farmer, he worked the ground, he's a worker of the ground, and so he's growing produce. And we're told that Abel um, uh, worked with uh, with the animals, he was a shepherd, a keeper of the sheep. And that's all we're given. And then we're told in the course of time, they brought an offering before God. We're not told why. We're not told maybe God summoned them. Maybe Adam told them to offer a sacrifice. We're not told. All we know is that they're seeking now to come before God and to, to worship him. And we're told that they bring sacrifice. They bring an offering. And they bring of the fruit of their labors. So Cain brings of the fruit of the ground, Abel brings of the fruit of the the sheep. And so I want to think first about Abel's sacrifice. So Abel, Abel brings a sheep, we're told that he brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So Abel brings a sheep, and we're not told the details of exactly how the sacrifice went down, but if it's anything like the other sacrifices we see in scripture, he brings the sheep up to an altar, he kills it, and then he burns it. Okay. And so this is a, a typical way of performing a, a sacrifice in the Old Testament. And again, when we come in contact with this sort of thing as 21st century Americans, we say, what on earth is going on here? <laughs> right? what, what does this mean? The meaning is not unpacked for us here. We're simply told the facts of the case. That because Abel sacrificed an animal, he was accepted before God. But as the Old Testament goes on, the meaning beneath this kind of sacrifice is explained for us. Particularly in the time of Moses, hundreds of years later. And in in the time of Moses, God had set apart a people for himself and he gave them very specific instructions on how it was that they were to worship and to come into his presence. And part of that was animal sacrifice. We've been looking at, at some of this in our Sunday school, uh, our Sunday school, adult Sunday school class, We've been going through Exodus. And just last week, we were looking at the sacrifice for the anointing of the priests. That the priests of God were supposed to come together, and what they did is they put their hands on an animal. In this case, a a bull, put their hands on a bull, and as they had their hands on the bull, they would then kill the animal, and then it would be burned. And it's explained that this sacrifice was a sin offering. A sin offering. That as the priests put their hands on this bull, they were identifying with it. And as they, they killed it, they were saying, this bull is actually going to die on behalf of our sins. And again, it's a very foreign thing when we open the page, pages of the Old Testament and look at this whole system of sacrifice. The tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament were bloody places. Okay. Um, the temple courtyard is a mess with animals. Um. And it's, it makes you ask the question, it's like, why Why does God require this for worship? What's going on beneath this? Why all this death? And we find the answer actually all the way back here in Genesis, in the passages we've been looking at in the last couple of weeks. What did God say about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? to Adam and Eve, before they ate of it, if you eat of it, you will die. The wages of sin is death. If you turn, if you rebel, if you sin, you will die. That's what you're choosing. So the wages of sin is death. And so the picture in an animal sacrifice is actually that the animal is dying the death of those who are sacrificing it that their sin is, in a sense, being put on the animal in their place, so that then they can come into the presence of God, having been cleansed of sin, so that they might not be struck down. This is the idea. That the animal is actually dying in the place of the people. And still, maybe we have questions, right? How is it that a bull or a goat, or a sheep, could die on behalf of a human being. How is it that this works itself out? And Scripture has an answer for this. The writer of Hebrews, if you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, explains. This is after the coming of Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews explains that actually this Old Testament system of sacrifice was actually just a picture of a better, more perfect sacrifice to come. Hebrews 10, verse 4, says this, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The blood of bulls and goats can't actually effectively cleanse from sins. Those Old Testament sacrifices were a picture. They were an object lesson, a very vivid one. That when the people came into the presence of God, they were saying every time, someone has to die on behalf of sin. This is the seriousness of sin, that someone has to die on behalf of our sin. And all those years that the people of God offered sacrifice, going all the way back to Abel, the writer of Hebrews says, they were all actually looking forward to a better sacrifice. That all those sacrifices were actually pictures of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, verse 11, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And so scripture teaches us that all these Old Testament sacrifices were all pointing forward to Jesus, and that it's actually only in the person of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, that we can be forgiven. How could an animal bear human sin? How could an animal die in the place of a human being? But a human being could die in the place of a human being. If there there could but come a sinless man who didn't deserve to die, perhaps he could die in our place. And if perhaps there could come a divine man, a man both human and eternal God, then perhaps that man could bear an eternal weight of sin. And that man is Jesus Christ. He is the perfect sacrifice, as scripture calls him, the the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. And so all the way back here in in Genesis four, right on the heels of this great tragedy, already God has instituted this system which promises a savior, right? Adam and Eve, and now Cain and Abel have brought upon themselves by their sin despair, death, hopelessness. And yet the promise is that through a sacrifice, they might actually be able to be reconciled to God. Already, the promise of Christ is rippling through the pages of scripture here in Exodus chapter four. And that promise is for us too that actually, through the blood of Christ, we can come back into the presence of God, that our sins can be cleansed. And so the question is, do you have a sacrifice to bring into the presence of God? Not an animal sacrifice, don't go out and kill a bull. The, The shadows have gone. All those sacrifices were pointing forward to Christ. Christ has come. We don't need those sacrifices anymore because the true sacrifice has come. And the question is, do you know him? Have you believed on him? Have you found in him your salvation? And if you haven't, you can. It's simply a matter of faith that you would come to him in simple faith and trust in him and say, Lord Jesus, I want to be brought back into relationship with God. Would you cleanse me by your blood so that I might be brought back to the garden again, back into the Holy of Holies, that I could know my God again. So this is the first lesson that sacrifice has to teach us. It may seem like a strange and alien picture at first, But the picture of sacrifice is exactly what we need as sinners. When we begin to take sin seriously and see that the wages of sin is death, then a sacrifice actually becomes essential and the sacrifice of Jesus becomes a wonder. Sacrifice is essential if we're going to come into the presence of God and worship him. First of all, Because a sacrifice is the only way we can be reconciled to God. Specifically, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And secondly, a sacrifice is a powerful way for us to prove our devotion to God. Sacrifice is a powerful way for us to prove our devotion to God. Let's look now to Cain. Cain also brought an offering. Right. Abel brought an animal sacrifice. Cain brought a vegetable sacrifice. Right. He, he brings from the fruit of the ground. Now, some, some have speculated that the problem with Cain's sacrifice is that he's bringing vegetable, not animal, okay? But I don't think that's the problem at all, because, as you, again, as you move forward through the Old Testament, and as God gives specific instructions about the kind of sacrifices he wants, He actually gives specific instructions to bring grain sacrifices and bread and these sorts of things into his presence. It's a different kind of sacrifice. There's all kinds of sacrifices in the Old Testament. There's the sin offering, which we've sort of already talked about. But there's also fellowship offerings. The sin offerings would have been burned whole. But certain offerings the people would bring into the presence of God and they wouldn't burn it whole, they'd barbecue it and then they'd eat part of it, and the priests would eat part of it, and then part of it would be burnt. And this was a sign that they were actually having a potluck supper with God. (laughs) They are actually sitting down at the dinner table with God and enjoying fellowship. And so certain sacrifices were about atonement for sin, and then other sacrifices were just a way of saying, we're in relationship with each other. Right? It's like coming to the dinner table. Um, If you never come to the dinner table, it's like, well, are you part of the family? But when you come, it's like, And we're together. So I I don't think it's necessarily wrong that Cain was bringing vegetable sacrifices. The problem is in what kind. Notice the language Moses uses to describe these two sacrifices. Now, as I said, there's hardly any details here, so the details that are included are obviously important. Notice what Moses says about Cain's sacrifice. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And now compare it to how Abel's sacrifice is described. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Of Abel, we're told, he brought the best of what he had. He looked around at his flock of sheep and he found the one sheep that he most would have wanted on his dinner table that night. He found the one sheep that he most would have wanted to breed for the next generation, the prize-winning sheep at at the Union Fair. And he brought that sheep and he gave it up. He sacrificed the best of what he had, the firstborn. What are we told about Cain? Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. It was an offering. He brought something that he had and gave it to God. Not his best. I think that's the difference here between Cain's offering and between Abel's offering. Abel brings the cream of the crop. Cain brings something. And in doing so, he actually misunderstands the nature of sacrifice. Right? Because when we sacrifice something, it's a sacrifice. Right? It usually hurts when we sacrifice something. Cain brought an easy sacrifice. He brought to the Lord something that it wasn't very hard to give up. And maybe you can see where this principle is headed in terms of our own lives. That there's certain things it's easy to give over to God and there's certain things that are much more difficult. And the call of God for those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ is not that we come to God and give him parts of our lives, the parts that are easy to give to him, but that we give over to him every square inch. Our whole lives. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul describes the lifestyle of a Christian beginning in verse 1 in terms of sacrifice. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present sheep as a sacrifice. Is that what he says? No. He says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship which is acceptable to God in the new covenant is that we give our lives over to God. Not part of it, not what's convenient, but that actually our bodies themselves go up on the altar. And that every inch, every minute, every word, every action becomes devoted, given over to God. Now we ought to be careful. It's not that we, we become a sacrifice that earns us forgiveness. This is not works salvation. It's the sacrifice of Christ that brings us into the family. But now that we've been bought by the blood of Christ, as scripture says, We are not our own. We belong to God. And all of our lives ought to be given over to love and to obey and to serve our God. In other words, our very bodies become living sacrifices. And it's very easy to come to God in Jesus Christ and to want the benefits of forgiveness and of eternal life and to come and give over what's easy and hold back what's most difficult. Jesus encounters this kind of mentality in Matthew chapter 19. You may recall the story of the rich young man, this wealthy um, man of standing. I don't know, maybe he was in real estate. He comes comes to God, Uh, comes to Jesus, who is God, comes to Jesus. And he says, what what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they have quite a conversation, but when it comes down to it, what Jesus asks him to do is to sell everything that he has, give it all to the poor, and to follow him. And in asking him to do that, what Jesus is doing is he's putting his finger on the one thing he knows that this young man won't give up and the young man goes away sorrowful. Because as much as he likes the idea of eternal life, and as much as he likes the idea of Jesus, he's unwilling to give up his money. As much lip service as he might give to God, when it comes down to the question between his money and his God, he'd rather serve his money. And when that's the case, God is not your God. Money is your God. And there's many such instances of that, even in our own lives, not just having to do with money. If there's anything in our lives where when it comes down to it, it's this or God, and I'd rather choose this, I'd rather choose my career, I'd rather choose my comfort, I'd rather choose my fill in the blank, over God, that's your God, not God. Jesus speaks in similar ways in Matthew uh, 16, verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. How could we paraphrase that? Jesus is saying, become a living sacrifice. That in following Jesus, what we're called to do is actually to turn all of our lives over to Jesus, every square inch, even the most difficult parts. In Matthew 10, Jesus puts his finger on on another difficult thing, right? For the rich young man, the idol was money. But we we all of us have different temptations, different things which we are tempted to hold actually over God, to pledge our allegiance to something other than God. And as a way of bringing this idea all the way to the most extreme limit, Jesus applies this principle even to the family. Matthew 10, verse 37, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Is there anything we hold closer, dearer in this world than our mother, than our father, than our son, than our daughter? And yet Jesus is saying even these relationships if they take precedence over our allegiance and love of God, become our God, and we've wandered into idolatry. And we've wandered, really, into the error of Cain, who was willing to come to God with some level of worship as long as it was easy, but as soon as it began to hurt, he wasn't willing. He wasn't willing to offer to God his best, right? Abel brings actually the best and it hurts because that sheep would have been on the dinner table. And now he's gonna have to suffer through a second-rate lamb. And so in light of all this, I think it's worth examining our hearts. Is there something we're leaving in the storehouse when we should be bringing it to God? Is there something that's keeping us back from wholehearted worship and obedience to God? What would Jesus put his finger on if he were to have a conversation today like he had with the rich young man? Are we bringing him our best? And so this this picture of sacrifice and this story of Cain and of Abel It's not just strange and foreign from a land far away, a long time ago, a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> now this this really happened, and it really has import on our own lives. It matters that we know the perfect sacrifice, Jesus. And that when we come into the presence of God, either on the day that we die or on the day that Christ returns, that we have a sacrifice in our hands. That we know Jesus. It really matters. And it really matters for us as Christians that we seek to live like Abel and not like Cain. To offer the whole of ourselves as a living sacrifice to God that our very lives would proclaim, there is nothing better than God. There is nothing I desire more than him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the salvation we find in his name, the new life. We thank you for the promise of resurrection and of eternal life we have in him. We thank you for his perfect sacrifice on the cross, that he took our death that we might live. And so we cast ourselves this morning on Jesus, that we might have life in him. And we pray, Lord, now that you have saved us and set us apart for yourself, that we would hold nothing back that you would give us hearts like Abel, that we would bring our best to you, that you would search out those, those areas in our hearts where we're holding back, and that you would help us to get back up on the altar again, to offer ourselves, our very lives to you, so that in everything we do, in every word that we say, we might honor and glorify you, and in everything say, There is nothing worth more to me than God. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Amen.